You're listening to Theology for the Rest of Us. You've got tough questions. We'll try to give you easy answers. Now, here's your host, Kenny Ortiz. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Theology for the Rest of Us. I'm your host, Kenny Ortiz. Coming at you from beautiful Orlando, Florida. That's right, in the backyard of Mickey Mouse himself. (laughs) Thank you so much for taking a few minutes out to listen to today's episode of the podcast. This is episode 95, and we're going to be answering the question, are the gifts of the Spirit still for today? We're going to be dealing specifically with some of the more ecstatic gifts of the Holy Spirit And we're going to be discussing a thing called cessationism. Uh, Before we dive into that, I want to just welcome back all of our regular listeners. There's so many of you. I've been getting so many great comments, uh, tweets, emails. So thank you uh, so much to all of you. Also, big welcome to all of our new listeners. Uh, Maybe you just found the podcast. Maybe you just stumbled across on social media. Uh, Maybe you are one of the followers uh, of of our interview guest today. Uh, Greg Dutcher, and maybe you're one of his followers on social media, or you listen to his podcast, and you found this podcast uh, through him. Welcome. Thanks for, for coming over and listening. Sure, I hope you would consider becoming a regular listener of this podcast. Uh, to anyone who's a new listener that has not yet subscribed, maybe you're streaming this from our website, or again, maybe you're listening to this in social media, right under the audio player, you should see two buttons, subscribe with iTunes, subscribe with Android. Just click one of those, whichever one applies to you, and that'll take you directly over to the page that'll give you the opportunity to subscribe. And then for anyone else who has been a, a listener, but maybe you haven't had a chance to subscribe, want to highly encourage you, please subscribe to the podcast. You can find us uh, on any of the podcast app that are out there, obviously on the Apple podcast app on your iPhone or your iPad, any of the Android podcast apps like Podcast Attic or many others, and then of course any of the other uh, apps out there, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Spreaker, and you can also find us now on Google Play. So please make sure you go over and subscribe to the podcast. That does two huge things. Uh, One, it guarantees that every episode gets delivered directly to your device so you never miss an episode. In addition to that, it helps push us up the search rankings. The more subscriptions we have, the further up the rankings we, we are that we show up so more people will find us. So please make sure you subscribe. It helps us out and obviously helps you out in making sure you never miss an episode. All right, let's dive into the content of today's episode. We've been in the middle of a mini-series over the last several episodes talking about the Holy Spirit, the role of the Holy Spirit, and specifically been honing in on the gifts of the Spirit. Back in episode 89, I really uh, kind of unpacked the difference between charismatic Christianity versus other forms of Christianity. I kind of I label, I kind of put everyone over kind of two main camps, and there's kind of a third subcamp. But we have charismatic Christians, we have non-charismatic Christians, or what sometimes would be referred to as cessationists, and then we also have the third camp, which is the smaller camp, would be the continualist camp, and that would be the camp that I that I fall into that I. Uh, that I defended. If it would highly encourage you, if you would like to go back and listen to episode 89, go check that out. Uh, in episode 93, I interviewed a charismatic pastor, uh, Matt McAfee, and we really answered the question, uh, why the Holy Spirit doesn't have to be weird, right? And Matt made the point that many Christians sort of reject or neglect elements of the Holy Spirit just because so many modern Christians have made things uh, surrounding the Holy Spirit weird. And Matt made the point that we can engage with the Holy Spirit 
and, and that we can not be weird. We don't have to be weird. And I love that he really admitted, like, he wrestled with just embracing being a cessationist. Uh, and if you don't know what that is, basically, a cessationist is someone who believes that certain gifts of the Holy Spirit have ceased, right? They, they stopped after a certain point. Um, Matt said, I want, you know, Matt, it kind of made the, you know, the, the, the confession that he, he wanted to be a cessationist just because it was cleaner. It's easier just to not have to deal with some of the, the more ecstatic gifts of the spirit and how to properly use them. But he made the point that the reality is like, that's not a good enough reason to reject elements of the Holy Spirit. Uh, today I wanted to bring someone on to with the opposite perspective, right? So we already had a charismatic pastor on. So I wanted to bring on someone that could discuss the cessationist opinion. Uh, this, the guy that you're going to hear from today is a guy named Greg Dutcher. Uh, he is a pastor and he has a podcast himself that is, that has grown in great popularity. I met Greg as a part of a relatively large Facebook group that we're both a part of. He has a fantastic podcast that you're going to hear him talk about. And uh, he's going to come and kind of talk about what is cessationism and really help us understand why that might be the most biblical approach to understanding the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So without further ado, here's my interview with Greg Dutcher. All right, we are on the line today with Greg Dutcher. He is a, a pastor in the Maryland area. He is also a podcaster. Uh, you could check out his podcast. It's called These Go to Eleven. The website is elevenpodcast.com. That's the number eleven. One one podcast.com. I actually met Greg through a Facebook group that's got uh, oh over ten thousand people now um, that I'm a part of. Uh, that's supposed to be about reform theology, but uh, ends up being arguments about all other kinds of stuff in the world. But um, over the last few months, I've seen a bunch of different posts from Greg and have followed him kind of from afar and some of the things he's doing. And, um, and as we were kind of dealing with this topic, I thought he would be a great person to have on the show. And so welcome, Greg Dutcher. Greg, how are you feeling today, man? Hey, I'm feeling great. It's uh, great to be here, Danny. Uh, thank you for, for joining in. I really appreciate it. Um, as our audience knows, the last few uh, episodes we've covered topics uh, around the Holy Spirit and topics uh, you know, about particularly the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we talked about a position called cessationism which, you know, if someone has not listened to the previous episode, basically the idea that the Holy Spirit has ceased to function in the exact same way uh, that he did in the first century. And you may want to redefine that. That's perfectly fine, uh, Greg. But uh, I know you, you you had a podcast episode you did with your co-host, um, and you guys have kind of, you know, discussed this at length. So um, I want to give you the floor. Greg, you tell me what is cessationism and why do you take this position? Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Kenny. Uh, yeah, a few weeks ago on our podcast, my good friend Matt Smith, who is um, it just I can't say enough about the guy. I, I don't want this to be a, a bromance here, but he is the guy who uh, led me to Christ uh, back in 1986. Wow, 30 years ago. Uh, I was 16 uh, at, at that time. He was as well. So we kind of grew up together in the faith. Um, we both had varied backgrounds and we've ended up in in pretty uh, pretty unique places. We're both pastors um, uh, in about five minutes from each other. So uh, our churches are we would call ourselves sister churches. Uh, we're both uh, independent non denominational churches. His actually recently came out of Sovereign Grace. Uh, okay. I know there's a lot that's been written about that, and I won't even try to go into that. But they uh, prayerfully through a, a pretty lengthy process uh, decided it was best for them to go independent, but they have maintained largely sort of a charismatic Calvinistic distinctive 
which is common of uh, Sovereign Grace churches, some eight to nine churches. Right. Uh, ours is uh, an, an independent church. We're definitely uh, what I would call reformed centrist, uh, trying to be culturally engaging. Uh, and uh, so we've got a lot of similarities, but we do have this difference on how we understand the spiritual gifts. So uh, we thought, man, you know, we did a little uh, topic for month of January called Fireside Chats, kind of hot winter topics was our cheesy, uh, cheesy uh, theme. I like cheesy, by the way. Cheesy's good in my book. Oh, cheesy's always good, man. <laughs> Cheese in general is good, and uh, if it's cheesy, even better. So we had um, Matt on a couple weeks back, and I'll tell you, it was great because all the conversations we've had, Kenny, in the last, oh, wow, 15 years when these issues have emerged between us have been fun. They've been Starbucks, coffee shop-like conversations, a uh, few emails and uh, you know chats and that sort of thing. So we've never really had an extended conversation for the purpose of clarifying the issue. Um, so we had a blast doing it. Uh, my wife thinks Matt out-debated me, uh, which is always humbling when your wife tells you that. Right. Uh, so all you know, my cards out on the table. But there's my long background to just say I argued the position on the podcast maybe slightly stronger than I even feel for the sake of clarity. I want to be clear, I would call myself a uh, cessationist. Uh, so moving towards a definition there, uh, pretty much what you said is that uh, while God can and perhaps may do whatever he wants through whomever he wants, whenever he wants, I understand uh, the basic teaching of the Bible on the issue of spiritual gifts to be that there were certain spiritual gifts that I would call spectacular, miraculous sign gifts um, that were done uh, for the primary purpose of establishing the early church and authenticating the apostolic message, um, which was all, of course, occurring in the first century down through the death of the last apostle, uh, so that uh, their purpose has been served. So I do not see after that time, when we have a completed New Testament canon, um, the entirety of God's revelation is deposited in uh, you know the uh, 27 books of the New Testament, adding to the 39 of the Old, uh, that I do not see any more need uh, for those gifts to be in operation today. A related corollary to that, Kenny, is that the the gifts that are often practiced today, many of whom are my friends that practice these gifts, I'm not just saying that to be polite, but they are, um, I think in many ways don't match what I see as the gifts, particularly tongues, and to a lesser extent prophecy. Uh, I don't think they match the biblical portrait we find of them when they were in operation in the first century of the early church. So in essence, that is how I would understand uh, cessationism, is that those spectacular gifts, which I would call tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy and miracles, uh, had a very unique purpose uh, in the first century uh, when the church was without a completed New Testament canon. And it was to authorize the uh, authentic nature that these messengers were the direct recipients of the words of Jesus himself and the church needed to be established in that truth. So I've probably repeated myself like 30 times there, but 
That's my attempt at brevity, and I'm a preacher, so I'm not very good at that. No, we're, <laughs> I, I mean, you, you and I have something in common there then. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, so the, 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 I've got a quick follow-up question, but the basic you're saying is that there was no Bible, so there was no place for people to go to as like the absolute source of truth. Yep. Um, you, know, there, you know, today you and I could argue about any kind of uh, theological topic, but we have the Scripture as the basis from which we argue and, and we make our points, right? Uh, um, absolutely. Right, because we believe the inerrancy and the authority of Scripture, um, and and then, but but if if there is no Bible, if there is no place from which we have a source to say, okay, this is where we find out what is truth, then then God is giving, as you put, a spectacular way of kind of bringing forth some truth, or 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 using spectacular gifts to prove to everyone that the apostles know what they're talking about. We should listen to them because. Yes. They, because they got the truth from Jesus himself. Um, yes, yes. Uh, in fact, right now uh, in my church, we're smack dab in the middle of Second Peter 2, which is uh, tough sledding. I mean, uh, I've kind of uh, broken it down into four different messages. I'm about to do the third um, this weekend, and it's all about false teachers. So I've been thinking a lot about this on a practical level. You're, you're a brand new believer in the first century, um, and you are getting... Uh, people that are far brighter than you, uh, better speakers than you. They seem to have very um, uh, intimate experiences with the Lord, I stress seem, and they are telling you things about faith and repentance and sexual ethics and uh, everything under the sun. And I'm thinking, what what do you do? What you just said, Kenny, I love today. Today we tell people what? To be Bereans, right? To be Berean Christians uh, and to go to the word as uh, they did when Paul preached. Um, and Luke says they were more, they were more noble minded than those at Thessalonica. And they studied the scriptures to see if what Paul said was true. Um, now mainly the context there is he is showing that the old Testament presents a profile of the Messiah and then the life of Jesus, the biography of Jesus life. Paul's point is, Hey, connect the dots. They're one and the same person in the new Testament era. If somebody is talking about new, uh, what we would call gospel ethics, uh, we don't have as much from the Old Testament that we could learn. So the question is, how do I know if this speaker is legit? Um, and I, I think that the tongues, uh, prophecies, the, again, those uh, miraculous sign gifts, uh, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 12, the signs that mark an apostle were done among you, or the you know these gifts um, that I think he is uh, referencing there, speak of this concept of... Uh, uh, not continual practice down through the ages, but to authenticate uh, the foundational leaders of the early church. Okay, and and so, um, so then we would say, hey, so the, the the first century church, second century church gets established. God has used some incredibly, really cool, awesome, spectacular things to get people's attention, authenticate the belief. You know, the teachers, the church, the church gets established. The Bible is written. Um, it's it's pretty much you know you, you agreed upon. It is my belief that by the end of the first century, you know the the, the sixty six books of the Bible as we know it today were were, were in wide circulation at, and were believed to be authoritative. Right. Um, so so we get into the second century, and by that point, all of the apostles have died. They don't obviously there's there's so there's no one more there's no one left teaching that got the words directly from Jesus, but but those guys had already written the Bible, and that becomes the basis from which. We do our teaching. There's no longer a need 
for a preacher to get up and be authenticated. There's no reason for us to go, well, we need that pastor in the second century to prove that who he is right. because because he's not teaching from his own opinion. He's teaching from the words of the apostles. Yes, yes. Well, you just said it uh, better and in shorter summary than I did. Thank you, Kenny. <laughs> <laughs> good. I could use you, man. I could use you as an editor. Uh, it's my pleasure. I just, uh, I'm listening to you and I'm just, you know, kind of regurgitating. So, uh, but okay. So that's, so that's a really good position or a really good articulation of the position that when people have come to me and said, Hey, that sounds logical. That sounds nice. However, I don't see the scripture clearly, you know, uh, backing up that position. Sure. Yeah. Um, what would yeah. you say to someone that says that to you? Yeah, I would say, and that came up uh, with my friend Matt when we talked about that at length. And that I, I would say, I think the most compelling argument of the continuation to side is the very fair and reasonable critique of what I just said, which could be said, okay, Greg, nice theological construct. Where's the scriptures that spell that out? Um, I mean, obviously, I, I mentioned some. Um, uh, Ephesians 2 talks about the. Um, um, apostolic leaders of the early church being with Jesus Christ as the cornerstone, the foundation of the church. So, but even there, I, I admit I'm being somewhat deductive. Second uh, Corinthians 12. Yes, it does say that these signs in, uh, mark an apostle. Um, am I saying too much to say that also means that once the last apostle died, um, you know, these things are no longer operative. So I, I would say I think that is the fairest critique. And uh, again, I respect that point of view. Uh, my response to that is that I would ask how many other issues, theological topics do Christians believe that frankly are theological constructs? Uh, I've often said, uh, show me where the Bible, the word Bible is used in the Bible. That's an obvious one. Of course, it isn't. Uh, um, it's a Latin word that just means book. Um, but we certainly acknowledge there is a uh, collection of 66 books that the Old Testament and New Testament uh, self-attests is the Word of God. Um, perhaps the more um, clear example with some teeth, and this came up on our podcast, is the Trinity. Um, one of the things Matt said to me at the end, and, and again, fair, but I think he would say my critique was fair, was, Greg, if you taught a brand new Christian, just some, some basic hermeneutics, nothing fancy, uh, just some things about context and etymology and, and how words are used um, to interpret Scripture with Scripture, he said, do you think that somebody would come away with a cessationist position? And I, I think that's a good point. And that's I said, a really uh, good question, actually. Yeah, and I said, you know what, if I'm honest, I mean, yeah, I would say no, I, I don't think that they would. My, my response to that was, um, same, same scenario, would this young Christian come away with what we would call a full orb doctrine of the Trinity either? Mm. Uh, I think it took the church 300 years to get it right. Now, what I, it was always there. It was in Scripture. Um, and I, you know, I think the Trinity is foundational, and I think the Holy Spirit guided those uh, great men of God in the early church uh, to rightly interpret, articulate, and defend the position, and sometimes in the midst of fierce battle. So I would say that I do think the cessationist position is of that nature. It's a theological construct, uh, but I think it's the right one. Uh, I think that we are to look at the scriptures, 
and discern from them uh, and reason with them together and come to our conclusions on this issue. Um, I've thought about this a lot since our podcast. I mean, um, I think every Christian acknowledges uh, whether you are on either side of this issue, uh, that there is a difference between 2016 and uh, 45 AD uh, in that there are no apostles today. And even those on a more charismatic side that believe there are apostles, most of them, if not the great majority that I've heard uh, talk about this, would say, now listen, they're, they're different. They're of a different rank than Peter and John and Matthew and even Paul, who saw with their literal eyes the resurrected uh, Christ. So also, most would acknowledge that something is now different that the Bible is finished and written. Um, and while there's not a clarion call passage that says that, I think if you just survey most Christians, they would say, yeah, there, there's something rather different today than there was again, say in 45 AD. So that would be my response is I would say, you know, it's a compelling point. I don't feel outgunned because I can't quote a chapter and verse that summarizes everything I just said, because I can't frankly do that with the Trinity either. Um, I can't do that with the process of canonization either and how we got our Bible in the first place. But if you go to Starbucks with me, Kenny, you sit down and we have a, a nice bold coffee together. We can talk through it. Right. I, you, you know, I want to kind of, cause I'm glad you said that. And even the idea that I, I, everyone acknowledges, listen, if someone today even calls himself an apostle, um, and they're preaching, we would hope that they're not, that they're not claiming to have a words that are as authoritative as Peter or Paul. Right? Like, sure. like, sure. Um, and if they are claiming that, then, then I would call them a heretic. And, yeah, same uh, here. <laughs> right. So, 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 yeah. And I, I, I think what you said a moment ago is true. Even the the vast majority of charismatics would agree with with you and I on that moment in that statement. Um, so, but I want to hit on something you said a moment ago that I think is really valuable. And you you said this earlier um, that 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 the gifts, you know, this more spectacular gifts that you see how they're functioning today when you compare them to how they function, you know, in the first century in forty five A D, that they don't look the same. You kind of alluded to that earlier. Can you unpack that thought for a moment? Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, in two areas, primarily with tongues and to a less extent prophecy. Uh, with tongues, uh, as quickly as I, uh, as I can hit it, I would say the tongues usually practiced, witnessed uh, in, in modern churches today uh, seem to be of the nature of what we'd probably call ecstatic utterance. Um, and I'm using that because uh, some would say gibberish, and, and I don't mean that in a negative sense. It's hard to use the word gibberish and not make that sound negative. So, right, right. Uh, maybe people would hear it as just indiscernible speech. It's sort of like, uh, you know, when, when my kid is learning how to talk, and I, 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 I can tell they're saying something, but I can't discern what it is. It's, it's more on, on par with that. When it seems to me that the tongues in Acts 2 – uh, and I think most uh, commentators would agree with this, are systematically internally coherent languages uh, that were spoken at the time. Uh, you know, in today's parlance, whether that's Chinese, uh, Mandarin, French, Russian, English, uh, that they were the first century equivalent of those languages. Um, so I see a big difference. Now, the, the real crux here 
comes with what do you do with 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, where most uh, continuationists will go to as their bread and butter and say, hey, there does seem to be a different kind of tongue here. Now, I can respect that position. I, I really do. Because I think they're saying, yeah, there's no doubt what's being practiced in most uh, charismatic contexts today doesn't look like Acts 2, but they would say it does look more like 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, to which I have just never been satisfactorily convinced, Kenny, that there is a anything in Scripture that suggests that the, the glossolalia, the, the tongues uh, that Luke describes in Acts 2, now we're talking about something different in um, 1 Corinthians. So um, I, I, I've never known quite what to do with that. I think that's a big switcheroo to me uh, when I think that the languages, um, or, or I should say, I think both texts are describing languages, thus the need for an interpretation. So I've always found a disconnect between modern charismatic practice and what I see happening in um, in Acts 2 and 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. Uh, and to a lesser extent, prophecy, um, I understand a little bit better. I think probably the, the most um, well-known proponent of a very thoughtful, biblically um, synthesized view of prophecy from a charismatic perspective is that of Wayne Grudem. And I love Wayne Grudem. I think most of us love his systematic theology, and I think he's such a clear articulator of, of the truth. But he holds on to this concept of fallible prophecy, which is um, basically in the New Testament, if prophecy is happening today, the, uh, what the person is doing is reporting the, the word of the Lord. So they will say, that's why we don't write it down and include it in the back of our Bibles, because it's still coming through the filter of the human recipient. I've just never been persuaded of that, Kenny, because prophecy as I see it in Scripture is always extending even to the presentation of the speaker so that if he's wrong, he should be stoned. Right. Yeah. I, I, and I, I'm with you. I love Grudem. I mean, I recommend yeah. his systematic theology. He's one of the best theologians of our era. Um, yes. Agreed. But, but I, 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 I think I probably agree with you a lot in, I thought, I find that's, that's, it's not satisfactory to me. It, it doesn't feel, it doesn't resonate with me. It doesn't feel right. If I'm honest. Um, and, and so I, I agree with you. Um, and if, if someone listening to this, it kind of like, they're kind of like, we're kind of lost in some of your verbiage guys. Um, just the, just like Wayne Grudem's point is, when people prophesy today, they're basically doing it as an extension. They're they're elaborating or amplifying something an Old Testament prophet or a, apostle stated. They're not bringing new information to the table um, or new authoritative words to the table. It's kind of right now. That's Grudem's perspective. That's my regurgitation of Grudem's perspective. No, I I think uh, that's right. Yeah. And uh and 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 what you and I are agreeing on is that doesn't that the scripture doesn't it doesn't feel like that's right. It, it feels like if someone's prophesying. They should be held to the same standard of an apostle or an Old Testament prophet. Um, like if they're wrong, they should be stoned. And therefore, that gift of prophecy or that gift of authoritative teaching pr probably pr probably it should not be for today um, right. because the guys that were doing that are all dead now. Right. Yes. Uh, uh, agreed. And what we have is uh, what Peter, again, because you can tell him in Second Peter, uh, you know, we, we have the word of prophecy confirmed. Uh, it's made more certain, more sure. Uh, by experience, and there Peter's talking about the transfiguration, 
which I love. He says, let me tell you guys, I was on the mountain. I heard the voice. I saw the glory um, blew me away. But what he moves on to is what's more certain. And that's the word of God. The uh, and, and that's Peter saying that in the first century. Um, how much more today, and of course Christians do have experiences. I've had some, I'm sure Kenny, you have. I think every genuine Christian does at some point. A, Absolutely. A, a very powerful experience with the Lord uh, in, in many ways. Um, and what I urge my church to do in, is to not uh, loathe experience. We should expect experience, but to always make sure that our experience is subordinated to the greater authority of the word of God. And I said, look, some of you maybe are one of those people that are out there and you say, man, I hear this guy talk and he's had 30 experiences. I've never had anything like that. And to try to encourage them. But, but let me tell you what you do have. You have the authoritative scripture speaking to you, eternal, unbreakable truth. That's right. And cling to that. And, um, you know, I, I think that's, kind of the great leveler of the playing field there. So, yeah, the prophecy thing uh, trips me up a little bit. Um, and uh, again, though, I, I do want to stress, Kenny, this is my position. I have such respect for so many people on that other side of the line um, and welcome the continuation of the conversation. So in that sense, I'm a continuationist, um, <laughs> continuing I'm the conversation. That's good. And, and I really, and Greg, I really appreciate that because, you know, um, you know, I'm going to name uh, a guy by the name of John MacArthur that many people have, are very, very familiar with. Obviously, sure. um, if someone listening to this is not familiar, John MacArthur is a, a very famous author, pastor out of California. Um, and, and you hear John MacArthur talk and he, he doesn't have that. I mean, John MacArthur says that if you speak in tongues or you're prophesying, you're basically of the devil or you're demon possessed. Um, yeah, yeah, we we talked about that on our podcast, and uh, it's disappointing to me. I, I think uh, I think MacArthur's critique. He's always been consistent since the '70s. He wrote a book called The Charismatics, and then '80s or '90s Charismatic Chaos, and most recently Strange Fire. But it, um, I, my main issue with his critique, even though I share generally his same position, is that he tends to base it on very extreme examples. That most charismatics I know say, dude, that's not me. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. So um, I think almost 99% of this readership would say, yeah, we all agree that there's some major problems with this movement, that movement, you know, people barking like dogs in the middle of sanctuaries. Um, and I do think uh, it's a little extreme. I'm not trying to shamelessly self promote, but our most recent podcast, Kenny, I talked to a good friend of mine, Jeff Kratz who went to uh, master's uh, Bible college and seminary um, knows uh, John MacArthur well to talk about the MacArthur tone, but I'll save that for another time. Yeah. Maybe that'll be a good, yeah, that'll be another good conversation. Um, yeah. And I, and the thing is I generally love John MacArthur's stuff. I mean, I generally am a big fan of his exegesis in a lot of ways. Um, but on this issue, him and I part ways and I, I disagree vehemently with the way he approaches discussing this so yes um, yeah I, yes. I, I think i would as well yeah, th thank you for being uh different in, in that way and being much more gracious well thanks uh, <laughs> hey uh tell my wife that you said that all right sounds <laughs> good and, and the checks in the mail yeah, uh, yeah thank, you, thank you um greg thank you so much we've we've gone long so thank you for spending a, a bunch of time with us uh, apologize to the listeners this has gone long i just really felt that greg's words were, were valuable and really wanted to have a thorough conversation about this uh, Greg, if there's if there's anyone listening to this that wants to do more study, they're just they're wrestling, and there's not enough we could do in you know a few short episodes. 
Um, in addition to to your podcast, which I would highly encourage people to go check out, uh, eleven you know the eleven podcast or eleven podcast dot com. Um, again, that's one one podcast dot com. Uh, in addition to your podcast, any other resources you might recommend to people? Uh, yeah, sure, sure. I think a good, great place to start, um, and I'll just name one because it'll lead you to other uh, resources. If you go to the Gospel Coalition, you could just Google search this. If you type in "why I am a cessationist," uh, there's a short little paper that's argued by Tom Schreiner, uh, great guy, New Testament scholar at Southern, uh, and then Sam Storms writes the counterpoint, another great interpreter, great preacher, uh, called "Why I Am a Continuationist." That's a great place to start. I believe at the bottom of each article, uh, there are other places that you can do more research. And I think Gospel Coalition has modeled a very civil, cordial, um, fierce, you know, they're, they're not being namby-pamby, but they uh, have given a good uh, context for people that want to learn more about the issue, I think, to explore both sides. That's a really, really great. I will make sure that we have the links uh, to, to Gospel Coalition and some of those other specific articles. I'll make sure those are linked on our website um, in the show notes for this episode. Uh, Greg, thank you again for, for spending the time. If there's anyone listening to this that would love to connect with you, um, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? Oh, sure. Um, thank you. I would say uh, our our podcast site, I think, has all my contact info, you know, the uh, 11podcast.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter with a ridiculous handle. Uh, it's at Dutch Doggy Dog. Um, <laughs> well, I love it. Came, but, and Doggy is is the cool way. It's D A W G uh, in both dogs. But uh, you could look it up under Greg Dutcher and probably find it the same. So that's awesome. Um, if for some reason you can't find Greg, you go to our website. I'll make sure that Greg's Twitter handle is also uh, linked up to the show notes on the site. Greg, thank you again. I look forward to connecting with you more in the future and uh, and spending some time with you again on uh, on the Reform Pub Facebook group. Hey, thanks a lot. Uh, same here, Kenny. It was a blast being with you. And there you have it. That was my interview with pastor and podcaster Greg Dutcher. Uh, I really appreciated a lot of Greg's words and insights. Uh, you know, obviously, as you could hear, Greg and I may not may not fully 100% agree overall on some of our conclusions. I would not call myself a cessationist, but overall I felt like a lot of Greg's thoughts were extremely valuable. I feel like his approach to the scripture is both honest and consistent. I feel like his exegesis and the, the way he pulls things out of the Bible, the, the truths that he that he kind of extrapolates from passages, seemingly f- feels very consistent. I, I like his thought processes. I like a lot of the questions that he's asking. Uh, again, just feel like it's consistent. Uh, I want to encourage all of us to approach the Scripture with honesty and with consistency. I also think that Greg's uh, opinion of people that he disagrees with is really valuable. I find that he was very gracious. And I just want to encourage all of us, uh, and this is something I have struggled with in the past for sure, that all of us need to be gracious with our brothers in Christ even when we disagree. So I feel like Greg did a great job of that. I want to highly encourage everyone to check out Greg's podcast as well as check out some of the resources that he mentioned. I'll make sure that all of those are listed uh, in the show notes for this episode. You can head over to our website, theologyfortherestofus.com and all of the resources that he mentioned will be linked up there. Go to the website, look for episode 95. You'll find those there. In addition, you'll find links to his podcast website and his social media so you can follow Greg there. 
Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. I know this has gone extremely long, uh, but again, I just thought this would be helpful, and I sure hope it's been insightful and encouraging for anyone who's who's researching the topic of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. If you have a question that you'd like for me to address on the podcast or a topic you'd like me to cover, please feel free to shoot me an email. I promise I will cover every topic that comes my way. The best email address is heyortiz at theologyfortherestofus.com. That's H-E-Y-O-R-T-I-Z at theologyfortherestofus.com. Also, reminder, you can find me on Twitter. My handle is at Kenneth Ortiz. It's K-E-N-N-E-T-H-O-R-T-I-Z. I'm Kenny Ortiz, and this has been Theology for the Rest of Us. Mm-hmm.